Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Meghna Giridhar, your host for today's show sponsored by eCareDiary.com. Today we will focus on whether there is a connection between hearing loss and dementia. To help shed light on this, I'm very pleased to introduce our distinguished guest, Dr. Noreen Gibbons, lead audiologist at High Health Innovations, a United Health Group company. Her responsibilities include assisting patients with hearing testing, fittings, and oral rehabilitation, as well as ensuring clinical quality company-wide. Dr. Gibbons brings to this role more than 25 years of experience helping people with hearing loss, including a background in large medical facilities. She is also an advisor to local chapters of the Hearing Loss Association of America. Noreen, thank you for joining us once again. Well, thank you. So as I was, you know, talking to Noreen before the show began, we um, we found that there is um, tremendous interest in this uh, topic. But um, I have to be frank, when the topic was first discussed, it took me by surprise because um, I had not connected these two um, issues together. And um, I just wanted to start off by asking you, Noreen, about whether there is any kind of research that links these two, um, you know, links hearing loss with dementia? Yes, there is. And and I'll describe the the research uh, briefly. It was a prospective study, meaning they collected data on a group of individual subjects in the uh, Baltimore Longitudinal Study on Aging. And this information was collected between 1990 and 1994. And they, they did it, a series of health surveys on this group. And one of the things that they collected was hearing test results. They actually did hearing screening. And this was a group of individuals, uh, about 650 of them, if I didn't say that earlier, who had no signs of dementia or any um, dementia cognitive-related issues. But they had obtained this pure tone information or hearing test results on them, went back and looked about 10 to 11 years later. And what they found was really striking. Uh, This was the study that really kind of prompted the interest again at Johns Hopkins. What they found and published in 2011 was some data showing people with mild hearing loss were two times more likely to have developed dementia. People with moderate loss were three times more likely, and those with severe loss were five times more likely. And this started a really strong interest and concern in the hearing healthcare community, but also in a lot of other areas, to to take hearing loss more seriously than than maybe it had been taken. So that was a starting study that, that caught everyone by surprise. Mm-hmm. Now, um, is there some kind of physical factor within us that could lead to us having hearing loss as well as dementia? Well, this is part of the ongoing research that is so important that needs to be done because we don't unfortunately have those answers yet. That uh, There's still ongoing research at Johns Hopkins. We are mm-hmm. getting reports from them regarding actual changes in brain structure that are associated with hearing loss. And the speculation is is that hearing loss is somehow contributing to this brain uh, structure change 
Or the question is, you know, it's always the chicken and the egg question, and we don't have answers yet. Is there, is there something with dementia that's creating the hearing loss? We're not sure. We don't have the answers yet, but I can guarantee you again, you know, that this research is is really important, and the government, the uh, federal government, is taking an interest in it as well, as far as the. Institutes of Medicine and some other agencies really taking a look and, and seeing what it is that comes first or how they're related. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Noreen, when I was researching information about this topic, I kept, you know, uh, there were a couple of terms that kept popping up, and one of the terms was um, cognitive load. Um, I didn't know what that meant, but when I read deeper, it um, what I gathered from the definition was that it's some kind of brain stress. Now, is, could be a factor which connects hearing loss and dementia? Could you please explain this? Certainly. The, the theory is, and the head researcher and some of his associates feel that one of the things that might be happening is cognitive overload is occurring. And um, the easier way to think of that is multitasking. You know, when we have... Uh, multiple things going on throughout the day. Some of us are involved in, in typing while we're listening to the radio or, or television or you know, multiple tasks that we can do at one time. Listening is a very intense task. We, don't, we take it for granted a little bit, but we can listen. When we have good hearing, we can listen and pretty much pick up what's being said even if we're not always giving it our full attention. When you have hearing loss, the load that is put on you to listen and understand and process and be part of a communication effort or talking with family or friends, whoever it might be, it's much harder and there's, an, there's considered an overload on your system. You're trying to um, use more resources just for that task. And that's where the, the head researcher is thinking maybe some of this is creating too much of a stress on the system and leading to some of those other changes that they've seen. So I can think mm-hmm. of it more of a multitasking um, challenge that is going on. I see. So it's kind of like a breakdown at some point because because of, you know, the, the, the term that you use, because of the brain being loaded with too many tasks and too much information, and I guess maybe age, um, age is another factor involved. Correct. There's, there's, um, we have what's called functional reserve, and there's this. That means the, yeah, you've probably heard this before. We only use a certain percent of our brain's mm-hmm. ability or capacity, and so same sort of thing um, that's going on there. We have some reserve that allows us to multitask, mm-hmm. but when the listening and hearing effort is too great. We're, we're, you know, using resources, pulling resources from other areas that the cognitive system might have been able to to use to multitask, and it's really creating a stress on the system. I understand. Um, now, apart from physical aspects, um, you know, there are a lot of elders who are living by themselves and uh, who don't have very active social lives because of um, limitations. Could it be that social isolation could lead to dementia in seniors who also experience um, a certain amount of hearing loss? It certainly could be. And one of the things that we've always known about hearing loss is it creates huge social isolation issues for people. I can't tell you the number of people over the years that have come in and told me they gave up going to 
a social event, getting together with family, going to worship activities, being involved in their community because of the hearing loss. And it creates this barrier for them when they go into these environments. It's so challenging, so frustrating that they withdraw. Sometimes they're not even realizing that's what's causing them to withdraw. Or they're not enjoying the activities that leads to depression. And depression can cause people to withdraw socially. So there's so many factors. We hear so often how important it is for us to say, stay active socially as we age. And I've just been reading some more literature on this, and, and there's such an emphasis on it. But what we really need to do is make sure that people are able to hear and engage to the best of their ability with the technology that is available so that they can take part in those activities. It's very important that we address the things we can. And hearing loss, of course, is one of them that we can find some solutions, some improvements on in life. I see. So we don't, yeah, no social isolation could. You're right. So it, it, it seems like, um, you know, because research is still being conducted on the physical aspect of it, but it is a known fact that, you know, loneliness could just maybe fast track it and then the combination would just lead to um, a direct, there would be a direct correlation with physical social isolation and then, um, you know, if you already experience hearing loss, you're just going to kind of basically be cut off at some point, which is scary. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's, uh, you know, and I have so many patient stories and one I just heard yesterday in, uh, a, a mm-hmm. worker at a convention that I was attending, she forgot her hearing aid. She wants to stay socially active, but she was serving food to this group of people and it was so important for her to stay active and she'd forgotten her hearing aids. We had quite a long talk about it, but just the simple challenge that she had and the challenges that her hearing loss was creating, it was heartbreaking. We, we hear these stories all the time. Fortunately, hers were, her, some of her solution was back at home. And, but uh, again, hearing that uh, in a, just a, kind of a random story um, was, was pretty heartwarming. There's, I'm with a group of about 40 other hearing health care providers, and we all sit and think, wow, this is, we get outside of our, booths and clinics and, and that environment and hear these stories and, and the impact right. is incredible. I so can imagine. So we do want to make sure, yeah. Hmm. Um, um, now, does increased risk of hearing loss mean that a senior will definitely develop dementia? No. We don't have information to say for certain one way or another what we're hoping is for some research to to determine what we could do to prevent that, if possible. And, mm-hmm. and by that, I mean if we intervene with the hearing loss, we're hoping that we do reduce those risks. Unfortunately, because of cost issues and other issues that have prevented people from obtaining hearing aids and hearing health care um, and assistance, there many people have not been able to do that, so we don't have enough data to show that if we intervene, we can stop this. Um, a lot of, not a lot of third-party coverage in our country, and so there's that challenge as well. We also don't know, you know, what is the exact level. When I gave the data about mild loss, does that mean a mild loss at all frequencies or pitches, or does it mean a mild mm-hmm. loss at just some? So there's, there's, again, you know, I hate to say we don't know yet, 
um, but it is the truth, and it's the most important thing for me to say, that we, there are challenges to getting that research. But we do not think that everyone with hearing loss would develop dementia. Because, again, if we don't know if you're wearing hearing aids or there's intervention for the loss, then maybe it won't uh, be, be, be as much of an issue for an individual. I understand. Now, if we had to kind of isolate each of these, um, when I say each of these, I mean hearing loss and dementia, and look at them individually and um, look at tackling um, hearing loss, are there any advanced treatments to fend off this? There are not any medical cures or intervention um, from a medical or pharmaceutical uh, approach yet. And the only thing I can say to that is preventing noise-induced hearing loss is certainly important. Preventing um, exposure to ototoxic or uh, um, agents that cause hearing loss, such as some chemotherapy agents. And, and that's been pretty well monitored in the pharmaceutical industry. They've been taking very good care to prevent that. So preventing, but unfortunately not medical treatments at this point for hearing loss for most of the hearing loss that is out there. I see. Now, when it comes to hearing aids, um, there was this misconception in my mind about there being, you know, this one hearing aid which would, you know, it's just a matter of frequency and then you just adjust that and uh, it works for everyone. Um, I wasn't aware that there is, you know, I was basically unaware that there is no one-size-fits-all solution to deal with hearing loss. Can you tell us how different types of hearing aids work differently? Well, certainly, I can give you kind of an overview. There are, it, it will, um, most often the first thing we're going to look at is the actual level of hearing loss. There are some people with more severe to profound losses that will need to wear a device that's got a fairly well-sealed uh, fit in the ear canal because otherwise you run the risk of sound leaking out of the ear back through the microphone and you only have two choices if that happens because you get a whistling so you either have to turn the hearing aid down or get a tighter mm -hmm. fit. There's, there's, so, so there's that group that will definitely need certain advances to send off the problem of feedback. The other situations, there's in the canal hearing aids that are quite uh, comfortable for people to use and to wear. They're meant more for the mild to moderate loss. The battery is smaller on that, so we always need to look at dexterity issues, make sure people are understanding they're going to have to change the battery more often. So we want to take, account, take into account how much assistance they have at home. When we talk to people about that. We say, you know, are you able to pick up small objects? So, because the smaller hearing aids, the smaller the controls and that sort of thing. So that's another mm -hmm. issue. If we had a one-size-fits-all, it would probably be just a medium-size behind-the-ear hearing aid with either an ear mold, which is a custom piece, or a tube with a dome on it, we call it. So, so there would be the closest one to a one-size-fits-all because that can be fit on just about every type of loss out there. But again, there's cosmetic preferences, ear canal size differences, dexterity, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. I see. Now, is there any current research being conducted on hearing aids? Any new developments that you could tell our audience about? I think one of the biggest focuses, the focus that's been on hearing aids and the technology has been what works best 
as far as uh, advances and features and things like that. First thing we know is we've got to restore audibility. By that I mean just getting people hearing better. All, pretty much all of the hearing aids on the market and certainly in the U.S. are going to be digital hearing aids at this point, and which means they're able to do a lot more processing. For example, quiet sounds are made louder. Loud sounds aren't made louder. You know, they still might be loud for people, but we're not going to make them louder. And that's, that's been something that was not always true in hearing aids. It used to be they amplified everything by a certain amount. So, so that's one of the things that we know we need to do first is just hearing better, audibility. We hear a lot of people come in and say, well, what about this feature and that feature? Unfortunately, the more bells and whistles doesn't always mean a better outcome. And the research isn't showing necessarily that all these whistles, bells and whistles and features are improving the ability um, for a person to hear in a noisy environment. So if, if they worked better and, and really we were able to do that, we would. But the reality is it's a very complex process. Hearing involves the entire, the inner ear, the auditory nerve, the brain. It is not just something that happens at the ear. So it's always important to to talk about that. So when you say research on hearing aids, yes, but the, the real advantages um, might come from hearing aids and remote microphones, for example. A remote microphone mm -hmm. would be something you would wear as a talker at a distance from the person with the hearing loss, and it would directly transfer the sound into the hearing aid. So you'd get rid of the issue of sound traveling through air. So those are some of the things that are in addition to hearing aids that are really important to talk about and look at. So uh, when it comes to new types of hearing aids that are available in the market right now, um, are there some that you uh, can tell us about which you would recommend or which is uh, better than the others and for what reasons? Yeah, well, what I'll, what I'll tell you is there's, there's really four main issues that are proven by the research. We know, number one, audibility, meaning hearing better. Number two would be directional microphones which have been around for many years in hearing aids. And all it means is the microphone facing the front or facing the same direction as the user, those, that microphone will pick up sounds better than the microphone towards the back. So that when they are in an environment where something is in front of them that they're trying to hear, they will hear that signal better than some other sounds that might be behind them. The other thing is we want to, the third thing is, is reducing feedback. Whistling is a big problem and you don't hear well if the hearing aid is whistling in your ear. So we do need to control mm -hmm. that. Mostly that's a plumbing problem, the fit, but also in the circuit itself there's feedback suppression to help reduce that. So we know we need to have that. And then the fourth thing would be noise reduction, something that would decrease a continuous sound that doesn't change a lot with pitch or intensity. And I really feel it's important to always talk about what noise reduction is in those terms because noise reduction won't mean it'll eliminate the person you don't want to hear. <laughs> it means that it will eliminate a constant <laughs> sound. And so, so we have to be careful because if there's 20 people, the hearing aid, again, that, that the hearing aids won't know which one you're trying to hear. It's, it's right. that it can reduce some of those other sounds. So it's talking very realistically about what can happen with hearing aids. It's, it's a huge part of what we do in our program 
is making sure that people understand what to expect. Those four issues are the most important. So that's always what I would tell people to ask about and look at in when they're looking at different op um, options with hearing aids. Thank you so much, Noreen. You've given us um, a tremendous amount of information in such a short period of time, and it's been an absolute pleasure having you as our guest today. No, thank you, can you learn. Absolutely. We would love to have you back. Um, I want to just let our audience know that they can learn more about uh, you, Dr. Noreen Gibbons, at www.highhealthinnovations.com. High spelled as H-I. And I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in today. Join us next time on Tuesday, Feb 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern for our second online radio show, Caregiver and Physician Conversations, hosted by eCare Diaries caregiving expert Marjorie Pabst. She will be speaking to Dr. Michael Weiner, founder of the Brain Health Registry, about the right sources of information on brain research that would be relevant to caregivers, families, and patients. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit www.ecarediary.com. Registration is absolutely free and gives you immediate access to your personal care diary tool. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and my Twitter address is eCare underscore diary. Thank you once again, everyone. Thank you, Noreen. Thank you.